Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Beth. How are you today? Not too bad. Great, great. Uh, Today we will be discussing global climate change with Kenneth Winston, an attorney and policy advocate who is uh, Director of Policy and Outreach at the Nebraska Interfaith Light and Power. Um, Their mission is to facilitate the faith community's response to our changing climate through community programs, education, and, and, and advocacy. And uh, today we also want to let everyone know about a very important lecture on climate change, which will be given by Dr. Catherine Hayhoe this coming Wednesday, October the 30th at Hardin Hall um, here in Lincoln on the east campus of the University of Nebraska. And I believe, is that 4.30 p.m., Richard? It's 3.30. 3.30. 3.30 to 4.30. On Wednesday. On Wednesday. Perfect. Well, we certainly have a lot to talk about this morning, but first, let's hear these important messages from KZUM. Welcome back to Counterbalance, a weekly radio show on KZUM. Our show focuses on social, ethical, spiritual, and faith issues from a progressive Christian perspective. We've named this show Counterbalance because we seek to counterbalance more conservative Christian perspectives that are all too frequently heard on radio and television. I'm Beth Menhusen, one of your co-hosts for Counterbalance. And uh, I am Richard Randolph, your other co-host for Counterbalance. Both Beth and I are pastors at Christ and Connection Point United Methodist Church here in Lincoln. One church in two locations with two very different personalities and yet a shared commitment to acting inclusively, uh, seeking God, serving others, and working for justice. That's right. At Christ Connection Point, we strive to welcome, include, and affirm all people, whatever their ethnicity, economic class, or sexual orientation, because we recognize that all people are created in the image of God and loved by God for who they are. You can find more information about us and our churches at counterbalancekzum.org. Today... Our focus is on climate change, and we are fortunate to have Kenneth Winston in the studio to talk with us. Ken is an attorney and policy advocate here in Lincoln. Welcome, Ken. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Good morning, and thanks for for having me on as a guest, and and I appreciate the opportunity to talk with uh, uh, both of you about about climate change. I guess I'm also speaking to your audience that I I can't see. Right. well, a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up in western Nebraska. I was um, uh, in the town of Rushville. It's a small town um, in the northwestern part of the state, mm-hmm. and moved to Lincoln to come to to come to college, and and have been here ever since. And and well, actually, there was a break of fourteen years when I lived in Omaha, but now yeah. I'm back in Lincoln, um, and and. I'm I am an attorney and okay. and I worked for the legislature for many years uh, and uh, represented the Sierra Club for 14 years as a as a policy advocate worked on uh, issues like opposing the Keystone pipeline and and working on retiring coal plants um, and I'm currently the policy and and outreach director for Nebraska Interfaith Power and Light which is a uh, which brings faith-based messages about climate change and and taking care of the of, of creation. Uh, and I, I'm also a member of First Plymouth Church in Lincoln. I, uh, I, as I often mention, I'm, I'm not a, a clergy person. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm a lay person and my, uh, theology is secondhand, as I often say. I, I hear it from the, from the mouths of the pastors, right. but, I, but I sing in the choir and, and really enjoy that. 
uh, that part of my life. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Well, thanks. Thanks, Ken. You know, we've all heard so much about climate change, and we know that it can be a controversial topic in Washington, D.C. and in many state capitals. But I suspect that many of our listeners may be like me. We know that climate change is bad for the earth. We know that we must do something about climate change. But we may feel a little fuzzy about the details of climate change. Um, After all, there's so much conflicting information out there. So we're wondering if you could give us a brief tutorial on just what climate change is and why it's such a serious threat to uh, our planet Earth. Well, um, it's one of these things where where I almost responded by saying, well, how many hours do you have? (laughs) Right. uh, Only one hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and uh, and obviously there's many topics that we want to cover here, so I'm not – I will – I will give a very brief overview of, of climate change uh, and, and hope that, that listeners who know a lot about climate change say, wait, there's a whole lot more that you should say about that. But the right. primar- primary yeah. aspect of, of the reason our climate is changing is because of greenhouse gases that have been put into our atmosphere by human activity, mm-hmm. mostly through burning po- fossil fuels. And the main greenhouse gas that we're concerned about is carbon dioxide, which results from from burning things like oil and coal and, mm-hmm. and, and gas. And so when they go into the atmosphere, uh, they cause the, well, it, it it's kind of has kind of a blanket effect when it goes mm-hmm. into the atmosphere. It keeps the, um, it, it holds the heat into the, the uh, and there's actually a more right. complicated explanation, but but it it causes the the earth to uh, to heat up and and for heat to be retained on the earth. Now the I mean you say, well, gee, that's and and do we have evidence of this? Yes, we do. Uh, the earth has warmed uh, approximately one and a half degrees Fahrenheit in the last uh, 100 years. And, and a person may say, well, that's not a very big deal. Well, just imagine if a human being has a temper, has, I mean, you'd be running a fever if, you're, if your temperature were a, a degree and a half higher. Right. And mm-hmm. the concern is the fact that, that it, it, uh, it may, well, basically we're, it's likely that we're going to have increases in temperature of, of one and a half degrees Celsius, which would be about three degrees Fahrenheit, right. uh, and and that's a pretty big deal. And if it in, and every half a degree of degree Celsius is a bigger deal. Um, and one of the problems that we're seeing are, are extreme weather events, mm-hmm. and, which include floods and droughts, and some of the the fires that we're seeing in California, and the extreme tornadoes, the extreme uh, hurricanes, all of those kinds of things. Although one hesitates to connect any specific event to climate change, uh, often they're, they're symptoms of, of climate change. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing a pattern here. We're seeing a pattern here. And there's sea level rise, and, mm-hmm. and that's going to cause lots of places in the world to become underwater, right. including whole islands that, are, that will be underwater. And uh, glaciers are melting, and, and places in the Arctic are melting. And so there's lots, lots of problems that result in this. Uh, I mean, just this year in Nebraska, we saw the the unprecedented floods mm-hmm. in March, mm-hmm. and the and then it it's basically continued to rain the whole year, so the places have Very not wet. dried out, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so so uh, and that caused uh, millions of dollars. I mean, one estimate that I saw was one point three billion dollars of damage mm-hmm. here in Nebraska alone. 
So, so it's, let's just it, pause there. One point three billion dollars. Yes, here in Nebraska. Here in Nebraska. So, so anyway, so it's it's very serious, and and we need to take action. We need to take action now. And uh, one of the problems that well, there's many problems that people have, but one of them is is denials. There's there's uh, uh, there have been actual campaigns by oil companies and fossil fuel companies to deny climate change mm-hmm. or, to, or to create com- confusion about climate change. However, the vast majority of climate scientists, um, at least 97% of, of, of recognized climate scientists, say that climate change is real, that it is caused by humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good news is that, is that there is hope. There are things that we can do about it. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I I hope I didn't run through too many things and, and paint too dire a picture, but it, but it but it is it is real and it is serious, and we yeah. do we are causing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know the the controversy about those three percent of scientists who doubt uh, the um, the reality of of climate change. One of the things um, I've told people before is let's suggest that. Um, you asked me to pick you up at the airport with my car and we I pick you up I meet you at the airport and we get in my car and in the back of my car, there's this big brown box and you can hear a ticking noise. And uh, you say, what, what's that box doing in the back of your car? And I said, I don't know. Somebody put it there when I was uh, in the store. I, I don't know who put it in there. I said, it is sort of odd, um, but you know, this past week, we had a uh, convention of uh, bomb experts here in in Lincoln, and I had them all take a look at it. And ninety seven percent were pretty pretty sure that I had a, a time bomb in my car, but there's there was a three percent who said no, don't worry about it. So let's hop in and let's ride. The question is, would you get in the car and ride with me at that point? <laughs> Not on your life. On yeah, exactly. no, no way. Yeah. No way would I. It'd be like. Uh, I don't know how you're getting back into town, but I'm not riding with you. Exactly. <laughs> but isn't that sort of the argument when people raise the question of, or the point that it's not 100% unanimity in terms of all climate, uh, climate scientists? Well, yes, and, and, uh, and that is a good illustration. I'm sorry, it's, it's actually kind of a funny illustration, <laughs> but, but, uh, but it is a good illustration of ex- exactly... And actually, some of the people that are supposedly climate scientists who disagree aren't aren't actual climate scientists, and and most of them have not been uh, of their disagreements. They've not been peer reviewed. I mean, they're mm-hmm. you don't have uh, they're they're just people who, I mean, somebody with a PhD behind their name can say, oh well, I don't I I think actually that the climate is cooling, and you right. know, and and then they they go on. But part of the problem, one of the other problems has been the, the, the tendency of the media to say, to want to provide balanced reporting. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and as I often say, well, you don't, if somebody said the sun rose in the West, you'd, you wouldn't, uh, <laughs> you would include them on your, uh, on your radio show or your, right. your TV program. Yeah, or, not just for that, that's for sure. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, no, that's, and I do think the media likes to present Stories as conflict, you know? yes. So mm-hmm. they're always looking for a conflict because that sen- tends to drive uh, listeners and viewership. Well, and then one other so. thing that I want to mention that I don't think I think some you know the average person might not understand is that there's a difference between climate and weather. 
Uh, our president doesn't seem to understand that. Um, and and neither, I've, had, I've had conversations with with folks who, you know, it's it'll be it was like September and it was really nice and cool outside. And some guy laughs and goes, oh, yeah, but but global warming's happening. And it's so cool. But, yeah, supposedly it's getting hotter. And I'm like, that's not the point. Like right. climate change is different than today's weather. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, as uh, another friend of mine likes to say, uh, climate is what you have in your closet and weather, weather is what you put on today. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the fact that, well, like we had a cold winter last year, mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that climate change isn't happening and that, that global temperatures, for example, in July of this year, global temperatures set a, a new record for the for the year so That's right. mm-hmm. so we're we're on target and and uh, for the year we're we're above above, above average above average and especially yeah. i think at the you know towards the north and south poles they're seeing the most extreme uh warming i know like alaska especially this year i think was experienced really unseasonably warm temperatures well and actually i think that in this next week when we're supposed to have cold weather they're supposed to have uh, unseasonably hot weather, hot weather yeah. in, in Alaska, which, and that has huge impacts on on our weather as well. Because Absolutely. It, it, it's all an interconnected system. Yes, definitely. Yeah. This has been really informative and helpful. I, I really appreciate this, Ken. Um, now, earlier this year, um, there were a number of more liberal congressional representatives and senators who introduced, um, I think it was a series of bills in Washington called the the Green New Deal. Can you tell us about this initiative and uh, and what its impacts would be if it's if it's eventually passed? Well, actually, I, 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 it's my understanding that the legislation has not actually been introduced. There's uh, a resolution uh, outlining the concepts of the Green New Deal. Okay, and I, I'm just I going to touch that. touch on it um, because it hasn't actually been introduced as as legislation. Okay, but it's it basically sets a series of goals in in uh, in motion or would set some goals in motion and the idea is that that uh, would be to reach 100% renewable energy by 2030 okay uh, to uh, and through investments in and wind and solar and battery storage um, but the, the main thing would be to, to stop generating electricity through through uh, fossil fuels, also to move our transportation grid to uh, to electrifying our the the vehicles that we drive, so right. the, the, uh, providing incentives for people to drive electric vehicles, uh, and and providing incentives for for folks to reduce the energy consumption in their uh, in in buildings mm-hmm. because or the the energy out, output in buildings because a significant amount of the energy that we we um, that is is uh, well. This is we waste a lot of energy mm-hmm. because of the fact that that our our buildings aren't as aren't as uh, efficient about their use. Mm-hmm. So those are all concepts. One of the major concepts of of the Green New Deal is is environmental justice and making sure that that uh, that low income people, the people of color, are that they're all that that they're uh, it would be to change the economy so that. That people are aren't left out of the economy, mm-hmm. uh, and that 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 there are, are jobs created. The idea would be to create uh, thousands of new jobs through through renewable energy and energy mm-hmm. efficiency investments, mm-hmm. and and things of that. And in the form of transforming our economy would be, uh, and 
And so the idea would be a complete transformation of, of the economy. So there's a, a, a large component of just economic justice for yes. poor people. Yes, yeah. e- economic justice for for people who haven't uh, had a, uh, an appropriate place in the in the in the current economy. Mm-hmm. So so that's that's a big piece of it as well. Yeah. What what about all those coal miners who'd be losing their jobs? As, 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 in the green, new Green Deal, have they thought about how you retrain yes. people who are involved with and, fossil fuels? And, yes, and, and that's that, and that's part of it too. Is is the, they also talk about a just transition? The mm-hmm. idea that that uh, it, it isn't the coal miners' fault that that they've worked in a coal mine. Right. right. Uh, to it, uh, it may be the fault of the of the business person or the the company that created it. And I guess that that's one of the other things. Um, that I often like to talk about is we shouldn't necessarily, this shouldn't necessarily be a blame game. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be, well, the, I mean, certainly that, well, unless somebody's uh, intentionally been obfuscating the truth or, or trying to get us to invest in fossil fuels when we should be getting off that, then let's focus on, on solutions mm-hmm. and, right. and how right. we can help people. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, retraining people, providing jobs in, in, uh, in clean energy industries, and actually, the fastest growing job in the United States last year was solar technician. The second fastest growing job was wind technician. Wow. So there, there, there are more jobs being created in renewable energy at the present time than, and the jobs are declining in the fossil fuel industry without anything happening in terms of without any specific policies. Uh, in that area, so right. so I so that's the direction we need to we need to go. Right, absolutely. There's a um, a really good video that um, explain kind of or casts a vision of what the world might look like uh, with this Green New Deal that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez put out with um, an illustrator. Um, that so it's an illustrated video um, that 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 casts a vision of you know a child that you know, is like five today and what her future looks like 30 years from now, because if we were to implement the Green New Deal, um, you know, and she, she goes and gets gets a job in like the solar industry and, um, and her whole family, you know, goes from being like coal miners to really thriving, you know, building electric cars and solar panels and wind turbines and, um, and then just talking about, they talk about an increase in public transportation instead of everybody, you know, driving their own car right. and, um, just all of the changes and it's one of my, f- it came out last spring, I think. Um, but it's one of my favorite examples of, um, in terms of this conversation, instead of, like you said, playing the blame game or, you know, top being all doom and gloom about what it's going to be like if we don't change. I think it's a beautiful, inspiring example of, of, of cat framing this positively. Like if we do change, here's what we can accomplish and here's mm-hmm. what the future could look like. And one of the other things that I like about that that vision is that it's also a more humane vision. Yeah. It's, it's more of uh, it's a it's a vision of of more greater equality and, mm-hmm. and greater uh, caring for each other and caring for the planet in the process. Uh, right. Uh, as opposed to a, a kind of the old zero sum game of of, right. of well, I'm going to exploit you so that I can enrich myself which right. which is the 
well, one of one of the major ills of our society today, or have caused many, many of the ills mm-hmm. of our society. The, Absolutely, just the idea of right. exploiting individuals and exploiting resources mm-hmm. uh, for for personal enrichment, uh, as opposed to looking at the world as 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 a place that that can nourish us and take care of us, and and as a as a blessing from from our Creator. Right. And, Absolutely. Right. It's for me. It's uh, the it's a vision of flourishing and living to live lives in which we flourish, mm-hmm. which I think is what God intended all along. Um, so um, I like that vision, and I think that we need to um, claim it as consistent with um, with what we understand from the Bible and from what God we think God intends for us to to be and to do here on this planet. Right. Um, so the the last time, and this this really ties in perfectly with the video that I'll, I'll play here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but last time we talked about uh, the youth-led climate strikes. Um, and right after the show was over, we had a caller who um, who called in and shared with us uh, how important these this issue of, of climate change and stewardship is uh, for the indigenous community uh, that I think she's a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, um, she pointed out how many uh, indigenous youth are really taking leadership um, in this movement, along with people like Greta Thunberg. Um, so I've been doing a little research about, you know, youth act- activists from the indigenous community. Um, and there is one person in particular that caught my attention. And uh, so now I'd like to play a video um, that to kind of add to our conversation. And it, it kind of pulls on um, what you called like a more a more humane vision of the future um, it talks about how you know climate change isn't just a science issue. It's not just a policy issue. It's a human rights issue, which I think is really important to remember. Um, so this is a speech from the young indigenous climate activist, um, Jutisquet Martinez. And I'm not sure I said that right, but uh, the video will we'll say his name correctly here in a minute. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, once again, please welcome Shutezcat Martinez. Good morning. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Shutezcat Tonatiu. Um, I'm a 14-year-old indigenous environmental activist from Boulder, Colorado, hip-hop artist, and I'm so stoked to be here today with all you at Bionius 2014. So um, let's get these slides going, shall we? Okie dokie, there we go. All right, so, um, and again, I'm so honored to be here, and I just want to take a second to honor the people that were of this land before us here, and just to acknowledge that, you know, we were not the first people on this land, but we can take time to acknowledge them every day. So, doing that right here, right now for the indigenous people of California. So, um, a huge part of who I am and what I do um, was from the way that I was raised. My father raised me in the Aztec tradition, and through that I learned that all life is sacred, that each and every one of us is deeply connected not only to one another, but to the world around us. And the issues and the crises we're facing in our planet are affecting our local communities, are affecting ourselves because of our connection to this earth. And us as humans, we have a lot of power. And so we were put here to be the caretakers of the land, and we have kind of done opposite of that especially since the Industrial Revolution. So we are working to repair this connection with the Earth. And um, so I 
When I was six, kind of going in with this knowledge of my connection to the world around me, I saw Leonardo DiCaprio's documentary, The Eleventh Hour. And it was about the global crisis, about the state of the planet, and about what human lifestyles was doing to the world around us. And as a six-year-old watching that, I was freaked out. Because I saw that my world, the world that my generation was going to be left with, is collapsing. I saw that carbon levels were rising and impacting communities around the planet, and I cried that night. And it was devastating because my own hometown, my own community was being impacted by the impact of climate change, by rising CO2 levels, by rising methane levels of greenhouse gases. Colorado suffered the greatest fire we have ever seen in our history in the same three months as we've suffered our greatest floods. We are seeing floods where we never see floods. We are seeing fires and droughts where we are never seeing fires and droughts. It's not just about global warming anymore. It's about shifting of weather patterns. Hot places are getting cold. Cold places are getting hot. Humans are getting displaced around the planet because of typhoons, tornadoes, hurricanes, mass destruction. This is a human rights issue. And it is the defining issue of our time. Because after I saw that documentary, I realized I could do of two things. One, I could sit by idly as the world around me, as my world collapsed. Because a lot of people say that this generation is a future. But the truth is, is we're here now. We are the present. So I decided to take action. I started to get engaged. And right after that, I started an organization called Earth Guardians. I'm the youth director of this organization. And we're working in communities to protect the earth, the air, the water, and the atmosphere so that my generation and those to follow will inherit a healthy, safe, sustainable, equitable planet for every generation to come. And we started taking action. We started taking action in our communities. We got pesticides banned. We got coal ash regulated. We helped get bans and moratoria on fracking and all over, the, all over the state of Colorado. We worked on raising awareness about climate change, showing youth the power that we have to change the world. And through social media, this spread across the planet. And now we have Earth Guardian crews on over six continents rocking today, making a difference, and standing up to some of the biggest industries in the world because we know that our future, our world, our existence is more powerful and more important than anything else. And a lot of people, and another way that we have gotten involved is through these lawsuits. Youth from all 50 states filed lawsuits against our state and federal governments demanding them to take action on climate change by putting in climate recovery plans. RISE. R-Y-S-E, Rising Youth for a Sustainable Earth, is a program that we have put in place to help educate and inspire young people and engage this rising generation of climate solutionaries and show them that the solutions are here now. It is time to be implementing them in our schools, in our homes, in our communities. And since the civil rights movement, youth have been on the front lines, marching for their future, fighting for their survival of every living system on their planet just not a few weeks ago. Youth of all colors, including myself and my little brother, were on the front lines of the greatest climate march in the history of the world, where over 400,000 people marched through the streets of New York saying that we're not going to wait for you to take action because we have the power right here, right now. And a lot of people think that the power in this world, the power to change, the power to make a difference comes from political leaders, from governments, from presidents, but they are wrong. Because the power in this world comes from us, it comes from you, it comes from the people in this audience and the people on this planet right here and right now because we have the power. And the earth is collapsing. Every living system 
that we see is unraveling. Oceans are acidifying our forests and our oceans are disappearing. Human rights issues are only getting worse and worse. Our planet is collapsing. And in the light of a collapsing world, what better time to be born than now? Because this generation gets to rewrite history, gets to leave our mark on this earth because we will be known as a generation, as the people on the planet that brought forth a healthy, just, sustainable world for every generation to come because this generation of people get to create the rebirth, get to co-create and recreate this new world of sustainability, of justice, of equity for all people on earth. And we are the generation of change. We are generation rise. Thank you. Wow. Um, that was some speech. Uh, it seems as though more and more often it's uh, our youth um, who are stepping up to provide leadership to address climate change. Ken, uh, what were you th- your thoughts on that um, on that little uh, speech? Well, I it was very powerful, mm-hmm. and 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 I I agree with a, a lot of the messages, and um, and I guess one of the things that I've tried to do is to to help facilitate uh, young voices being engaged in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, Nebraska Interfaith Power and Light, supported the climate climate strikes that that were held on sep- in September. Mm-hmm. And I know that some of the students are still every Friday. Striking that, that every are, Friday, yeah. They're still striking. So, uh, but we were, and we were, we were supportive of that. Um, we also, and I personally was the coordinator of an event called the Nebraska Youth Climate Summit uh, that was held in uh, in October, or the first Friday of October. Um, and we had presentations. Uh, we provided a, a video of Greta Thunberg talking about, uh, well, it was her TED Talk where she talks about, mm-hmm. uh, well, it's time to take action we, right. and we know what to do and, right. and, uh, and why are we not doing it? I, I guess the metaphor that she uses about our house being on fire and, mm-hmm. and if your house is on fire, you, you don't. You don't study. You don't do a study. You don't argue about whether your house is on fire. You 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 start putting it out. Exactly. Um, and we also had uh, presentations about the climate strikes. We had presentations about uh, about what's happening with climate change in Nebraska. Uh, talked about regenerative agriculture because uh, soil health is a major issue related to to climate change. Mm-hmm. Keep keeping carbon in, in the ground. That that's a big deal. Um, and one of the things that that uh, you mentioned at, uh, before uh, presenting the the the, mm-hmm. the video from uh, Shutezgat or however, uh, and we we uh, was environmental justice and mm-hmm. the idea that that oftentimes it it is that it that the poorest people are the ones who are most impacted by climate change and oftentimes those are minorities people of color that that are most impacted. We had a young woman from Minnesota who came and talked about her personal experience and showed a video of the the when the place where she lived when she was growing up of, mm-hmm. there was a, a, a garbage incinerator in her in her neighborhood and you could Man. see the smokestack and 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 she always wondered about what kind of what was going up that smokestack yeah. and what she was breathing mm-hmm. and and uh, and they're more likely to to live in the floodplains and and so they're the they're the people the they're the ones that are most impacted by climate change. Exactly. Um, 
And one of the other, you mentioned also the, the indigenous peoples, as they're, they're often the people that are on the front lines. They, they live in the places where, where these, where oil and, and coal are being extracted. And, and they also, uh, and I, I don't, and I will never claim to speak for Native American people, but I, uh, I have great respect for, for their, spiritual ethics for, mm-hmm. the, for their spiritual beliefs that right. uh, which are often very connected to the to the sacredness of the earth and mm-hmm. and uh, the idea that everything on the earth is sacred and that that it, that it is meant to be treated as sacred and and nourishing to us and we that I mean the the saying that we we often hear water is life is mm-hmm. uh, the native native people I mean, it's it's not just a saying; it's a it's a real mm-hmm. heartfelt. Uh, it's part of the yeah. part of their core belief system. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, so so that was those were uh, other things that we presented in our in our uh, youth climate summit. Sounds like a great conference. So yeah, and, oh. and then we also talked about things that that young people could do to take action. Uh, and just this week, I had conversations with. Uh, a couple of young people who were involved in the climate summit. One of them is is working on a hundred percent renewable campaign for Lincoln, mm. uh, and working with him to try to to create a hundred percent a one hundred percent renewable campaign for for Lincoln. One hundred percent renewable energy. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Sometimes you, right. you oh. talk in shorthand, but basically the idea of getting Lincoln to commit to one hundred percent renewable energy uh, and. Uh, and then I, I spoke with another young young man who's planning, who has a, a grand plan of of organizing across the state of getting young people to go all across the state and go into their own communities and and uh, educate people about climate change and things they can do to take action. And so so there there are young people who are really inspired and planning to take action and, and do things in in our communities. And frankly, we need to listen to them. Right, absolutely. Uh, there are all these sparks of light and hope, I think, coming from uh, young people uh, around the world, really. And, uh, and I thought the climate strikes were really well organized. The young people who who did those really did a great job. They 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 were well organized. They, the, they uh, focused on positive action steps, and and uh, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, you know, there was some of it that was wasn't one hundred percent focused, but but uh, they had a lot better things to say than a lot of their elders. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Right. right. And I think um, that's something I appreciate about the, the, the movement that the youth are leading is that it, it is focusing on what each of us can do. And um, so I recently had um, a Facebook friend um, to, you know, going on about how, well, whatever I, what, what I do or don't do doesn't really matter and what the U.S. or Canada does or doesn't do doesn't really matter when you have China putting off all this pollution. So it doesn't make a difference. Like we shouldn't be, you know, dealing with all these rules or emissions taxes or whatever because it doesn't make a difference. Um, and I think, and this isn't, a, you know, a full-grown adult. Um, and that's pretty short-sighted. I think, I mean, it it just doesn't doesn't make sense. The youth get it. Like it starts. It's each of us. It's you know, each of us coming together collectively. It's Communities coming together and then, you know, building on a national level. I mean, it's it just ripples out. And so I think ignoring uh, the potential impact of that ripple is is pretty short-sighted. That's very well said. Yeah. We want to talk more about what we can do. But before we do that, I believe we need to take a short uh, station break. 
Um, while we're on the break, we invite you to contact us with questions and comments about climate change for our special guest today, uh, Kenneth Winston. Uh, there are several ways to share your thoughts. You can telephone us here at KZUM by calling 402-474-5086 and choose extension 1. And uh, if you have a contribution that you'd like to make but you don't want to go on the air, please call in anyway and talk with either Beth or me off air, and then we can go back on air and share a summary of your thoughts uh, with the rest of our listeners. Richard, our listeners can also message us questions on Facebook by just going to uh, Counterbalance KZUM. And we also have a Twitter account, CB Radio KZUM. That's right, Beth. And when we come back for the second half of our show, we want to, to share some information about a lecture by Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, which will be this coming Wednesday, October the 30th from 3.30 to 4.30. But for now, please listen to these announcements. Welcome back to uh, Counterbalance, a weekly radio show here on KZUM uh, Radio. Our show focuses on social, ethical, spiritual, and faith issues from a progressive Christian perspective. You know, uh, Beth, the Bible begins with two radically different creation stories in the first two chapters of Genesis. Uh, We're most familiar with Genesis chapter 1, which is the six-day creation story. And uh, in that in that story, it comes from what scholars call the priestly tradition. Mm-hmm. But the, pro- the the perspective is cosmological. It's a cosmic God who creates by just speaking, and mm-hmm. and creation occurs. It's uh, God is de- depicted as a magisterial God, uh, as the great cosmic creator. And then humans are created in the image of God, uh, and uh, we're given the. Re- the privilege of being created in the image of God, but also the responsibility of being good stewards of all of creation. The second creation story is in Genesis chapter 2, and the perspective there is radically different. Um, in that perspective, the, the, the perspective is that of a, of a garden, and um, uh, the perspective is earthly. God is, is not a cosmic God out in the heavens. Instead, God is depicted as sort of a farmer who uh, creates uh, human beings out of the the dirt and uh, humans are depicted um, as gardeners or farmers along with God. Then uh, God creates um, this beautiful garden for humans to live in. It's almost like God is so excited uh, and just wants to create a beautiful gift for uh, for uh, the hu- human beings. And so God creates this uh, garden and places uh, Adam in the garden. And in, in the uh, English translation, it says that God places uh, Adam in the garden to, quote, till and keep it. But the the word in Hebrew that's used there is uh, a bod, uh, which is sort of an interesting word choice by the uh, the writer, Normally, a bod means to serve, as a, as a servant serves his master or a subject serves the, the king. And so, rather than nature serving humanity, Genesis 2 turns that on its head and says that the humans must serve nature. And so, um, as I said, there are two radically different creation stories, and I, I think uh, they're in the Bible for a reason, and that is that 
They're intended to complement one another so that God intends for humans' relationship with nature to be that of a a servant steward, if you will, taking care of of creation. And so today we're we're talking about climate change, which I think is the biggest challenge for the environment um, ever. And uh, so there is a clear biblical mandate for Christians to be servant stewards of all of creation, including working to end um, or to address the issues with uh, with climate change. Absolutely. Um, so this morning we have with us um, our guest, um, Ken, uh, who works for Nebraska Interfaith Power and Light. Um, Ken, what do you, as progressive Christians, as we think about our call to be good stewards of creation, uh, what do you think we can do about climate change? What's your perspective? Well, there's there's personal things that we can do, as as you mentioned, uh, and uh, and of course, uh, there's I mean, there's lots of things that mm-hmm. that range from our transportation choices to our lifestyle choices. Uh, for example, uh, the more that you can. Uh, not not drive your car. I mean, ride ride your bicycle or walk or mm-hmm. or um, or uh, take a bus or what have you. The, the more that you can avoid using uh, fossil fuels, uh, th- yeah. yeah, fossil fuels, the better off. Um, making sure that your home is well insulated, uh, uh, so that you reduce the energy consumption. Uh, using a, a, I mean, not not turning your thermostat. I mean, using a thermostat so that you you turn the heat down uh, in the winter, t- so that you're not heating the house to ridiculous levels. Mm-hmm. You don't need to run around your house in in shorts and t-shirt all winter right, long, December, yeah. uh, uh, or vice versa in the summertime. Uh, not not over air air conditioning your your house, um, things like that. Limiting the amount of air travel that you do because there's lots of uh, air tran. Lots of greenhouse gases that result from air travel. Right. Uh, so those are some of the the individual things that a, that a person can do. Um, although one of the things that I would suggest is that that people not get overly hung up and feel oh I'm you know get all feeling guilty about mm-hmm. about the fact that they live in a fossil fuel economy and and but but rather to just make good positive rational choices about what they do. Uh, so. Uh, so, so that would be those would be things that that I would suggest in in terms of of, of things that they do. Um, but in addition to that, there's there's lots of policy choices that mm-hmm. that I would encourage people to get involved in advocacy. Um, and and the, and the reason that I suggest that is because an individual can make a difference mm-hmm. uh, with the the choices that you make. But with policy changes, for example, if if a uh, if an electric utility stop uh, using uh, fossil fuels if they shut down and uh, retire a coal plant mm-hmm. that can be thousands of tons of carbon dioxide that, that don't go into the atmosphere as opposed to each individual I mean yes certainly encouraging individuals to take responsible mm-hmm. action but if we can get our our power districts to go to invest in more renewable energy uh, and to create policies that support uh, energy efficiency programs or provide incentives for mm-hmm. for electric vehicles 
those are things that can have a big difference, a much bigger difference than just each individual. So that's one of the other things that we work on are, are public policies. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we advocate, well, uh, I've personally appeared before the Lincoln Electric System Board on many occasions mm-hmm. uh, and advocated for policies like that. Actually, one of the policies we've, we've advocated for is uh, for a low-income energy efficiency program, and that's, that's one of the programs that we've supported, mm-hmm. as well as uh, uh, promoting more renewable energy. Right. And, and that, that helps. So in Connection Point, I work with a lot of low-income folks, and I think that program, it, I mean, it's not just helpful for, you know, in terms of, you know, carbon dioxide emissions and, you know, lowering their, how much, you know, heat they have to use or air conditioning, but it also helps, I mean, their bottom line. I mean, I've, I've talked to folks who, um, you know, can't really afford to insulate their, their houses themselves, but with that program, they can, they can have somebody come in and do the work and then they save on their heating bill. Exactly. Um, and, and so, so, uh, and and that's part of the the discussion about uh, environmental justice and right. making making sure that that it isn't just that that it isn't a matter of well if somebody can afford to buy uh, the, the, efficient the, systems the, or yeah an, an energy efficient system or put solar panels on their house mm-hmm. we want to make sure that that uh, low income people are also taken care of in, in this process so those are some of the things that that we do. Um, and, and there are some exciting things that are happening. For example, the Omaha Public Power District has just announced a, uh, well, it's tentative at this point, but they're, they're talking about a plan to go with zero net carbon so oh. that they would have, uh, they would balance out their carbon emissions with, with renewable energy mm-hmm. uh, and energy efficiency, which, which would be a big step. So, and they're, they're also announcing plans to invest in more uh, solar generation and 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 so so the, yeah, there's there's a really really big deal on these kinds of and things. And I believe the Lincoln Electric System has has just or is putting in the next few years putting in a big solar part. Well, well, am I right? No. Well, well, here's here's the situation. There's there's a solar um, uh, solar production facility east of Lincoln mm-hmm. that has been approved by uh, by the Planning Commission and the Lincoln City Council okay. but the Lincoln electric system has yet to uh, announce whether they whether they will bid on that or uh-huh. not so whether whether they will uh, so and they so they won't actually build it unless they have a contract to to sell the electricity to, to someone and uh-huh. and uh, we think that it would be a good opportunity for the for Lincoln electric system to to invest in that, in utilize that solar more farm. solar. Yes, right. uh, well, in solar energy, one of the benefits of solar energy is that that uh, the peak of solar energy is at times when when the most electricity is being used, mm-hmm. which is uh, late afternoon and in the in the summertime. So, mm-hmm. so solar energy provides lots of benefits that that uh, for for utility and as well as providing benefits for the environment. Hmm. Uh, Beth and Ken, while you're uh, talking about the um, uh, LES, we had a, a caller who, who called in and I wanted to make a, a really important uh, point, I believe, uh, about one way that we can cut back uh, to fight climate change, one way that we can uh, reduce our carbon footprint is to eat lower on the food chain. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, she pointed out that um, when we eat uh, uh, meat, uh, particularly beef, uh, that's higher on the food chain, and in order to produce uh, 
that those food products and uh, meat, uh, we have uh, to produce a lot more grain and soy, which uh, require uh, chemicals in terms of growing and uh, also the fossil fuels that are used in terms of harvesting the crop and and feeding to the animals. Mm -hmm. And then in addition, um, something that's really, I I think a lot of people don't realize how much water is involved Mm -hmm. in uh, growing uh, meat, particularly beef. It's Mm -hmm. uh, an extraordinary amount. And so uh, one way to just uh, cut back and to uh, address climate change is to eat lower on the food chain. uh, So plants and... Exactly. Vegetables and those things. Well, and also to eat more locally as well. The, right. The more that that, um, that people can have eat eat food locally because so much of our food is, is transported thousands of miles before we eat it. Right. And, and just the emissions and, that come with that are, can be huge. So, so the more that we can, uh, well, and it's, it's hard to do because, so, as I said, so much of our food, when we just go to the grocery store and... and right. And... Pick up a package of whatever is there, but but the more that we can eat locally, and 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 as Richard was saying, the more we can eat, eat lower, lower on the food chain, and that's one of the things I think we need to to be doing is to be thinking about how we transform uh, the way that we live our lives, and the way that the way we grow our food, the way we the the things that we eat, the the way we uh, and 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 as I was earlier, my earlier suggestion, or and also the the message from uh, the young Shutezkat mm-hmm. uh, uh, that, it, that it will lead to a more humane uh, society, one that, that, that is more in balance with each right. other. Well, there's so many um, well human rights violations, really, that go into the global food system. I mean, when we think about you know getting our food from so far away, um, there, there's issues with how the, the laborers are treated and how the farms are built and where they're built. Um, and so many things go into um, our, our global, a global food system. And we have more control over those things, so, uh, over, you know, fair wages and, and that kind of thing uh, when we eat at the local level. And I think we're really fortunate in Lincoln to have so many, um, you know, f- farmers uh, around that are producing, um, you know, f- not just big cash crops, but, um, but you know vegetables and greens and, and things for directly for human consumption. Um, so it's a good place to be. And a shameless plug for the How's It Growing Garden Show on Wednesdays. I think Bob does a wonderful job of of educating us and you know KZUM listeners about how to grow our own food and um, and support local farming. Um, so we're lucky to have have that show uh, on KZUM here in Lincoln as well. Yes, uh, yes, we are indeed. Thanks, Beth. Uh, we had another caller who uh, just wanted um, to know what the, the three of us are doing to cut back on our, our climate uh, mm-hmm. footprint. And um, so um, I, I know that we're at the end of the show, and we do want to talk about the CAHO lecture, but I'll just say uh, to that listener, I I drive a hybrid car, and uh, uh, like the, the previous listener or previous caller before then, I try to eat lower on the food chain and, mm-hmm. and not eat... Uh, um, um, to to be vegetarian and not eat meat, although of course in Nebraska it's it's harder than other places. Mm-hmm. But um, we do want to uh, just let our listeners know about the uh, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe um, public lecture. Uh, her title is "Talking Climate: Removing the Barriers to Public Acceptance." 
Uh, that's right, Richard. Dr. Hayhoe received her PhD in atmospheric science from the University of Illinois. She's currently a professor in the Department of Political Science at Texas Tech University. In addition, she is the director of Texas Tech's Climate Science Center and an associate in their public health program. Dr. Hayhoe has had a distinguished uh, career as an atmospheric uh, scientist. She has served as the one of the lead authors for the second, third, and fourth U.S. National Climate Assessments. She's also received numerous awards, uh, including the Sierra Club's Distinguished Service Award. Dr. Hayhoe describes herself as an evangelical Christian. So, Beth, I think that um, you and I, I and Ken and all of our other progressive listeners uh, we'll find it very interesting to hear a talk about climate change from sort of the other side of the Christian uh, spectrum, uh, from the evangelical side, uh, especially a talk focusing on removing barriers uh, to acceptance of the reality of global climate change and the reality of its consequences. Right. I think, you know, her talk is going to be about, you know, how do we address climate deniers in our in our midst or in our you know, daily conversations? Um, and that lecture will be on UNL's East Campus at the Hardin Hall Auditorium, uh, which is 3310 Holdridge Street. Um, so we'll get the details about that talk up on our Facebook page, Counterbalance KZUM, um, so that you all can uh, can be reminded of that later in the week and, and, and refer to it if yeah. you're like me at the last moment you forgot the address of where you're trying to get. Right. Yeah. And, and by the way she will be appearing by video oh. because she wants to be walking the walk oh. uh, and not traveling she doesn't travel by by Plane. uh she she avoids air travel as much as possible uh so she will be appearing by video um uh, so that she can uh Lower her carbon footprint. Lower, lower her carbon footprint, and uh, and 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 I do find the fact that she 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 does when she's asked about it, she says if people ask her, do you believe in climate change? She says, well, I don't believe in climate change. I believe in God. I trust the science of climate change. Yeah, right. And that's like so a, the, the scientific evidence mm-hmm. of climate change. Uh, uh, doing the the lecture by video instead of flying into Lincoln is an excellent example, I think, of what our second caller was, was talking about um, just a few minutes ago. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. You have been listening to Counterbalance, a progressive Christian talk show hosted by Beth Minhusen and myself, Richard Randolph. Today, we've been discussing climate change with Kenneth Winston, Director of Policy and Outreach with Nebraska Interfaith Power and Light. Be sure to tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. for another episode of Counterbalance Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week. Yes, indeed.